Thanks, youth, for being with us. You can go to Sunday school now. It's great to have you, as always, be part of us, because you are part of the body. You're part of us. I really enjoy the Narnia Tales, which are wonderful books by C.S. Lewis, and uh, they really are beautiful descriptions, I think, of a lot of the uh, Christian life and allegorical form and in the last one the last battle number seven of the series there's a scene I just love where they go through the stable door and Aslan leads the true Narnians through the stable door and as they go through this door they enter into the new Narnia which is really the new heavens and the new earth what we all long for to finally be there this new heavens and the new earth. But in the midst of all this excitement and everybody's enjoying what they're seeing and it's vibrant and beautiful and so much greater than anything here on earth, there's a group of dwarfs. And the dwarfs have gone through the stable door as well. And they're surrounded by all this beauty, but they can't see any of it. They're completely blind to this new heavens and new earth. And they're not able to enjoy it at all. And so Lucy, one of the children in the story, says this to Aslan, the mighty lion, the Christ figure. Aslan, said Lucy through her tears, could you, will you do something for these poor dwarfs? Dearest, said Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. And so Aslan breathes on them his power and yet they dismiss it away. And then he creates this huge feast for them to eat and puts it right in front of them in their apparent darkness where they can't see. And they start gobbling it up, but it doesn't taste right to them. They can't enjoy it. There's nothing right about it. And so they end up staying in their darkness and completely missing the joy that the others are experiencing. And here are their very words. They say, well... At any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. You see, said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we live with two realities. One is the reality of this physical world that we all as human beings share. And this world can seem so real to us. It can seem like the greater reality sometimes. And so sometimes it just feels like that's all there is and we're like the dwarfs and we continue to hang on to it. But as believers, we know there's a greater reality all around us. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he rose and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is king. He reigns as king right now. He is Lord. But we live with that tension, don't we, that we see this world and the mess that it is and the struggles there are and we live in it and yet we're told that Jesus reigns. He is Lord. The kingdom has already come. It's here. The new kingdom 
has appeared. Not in its fullness. That will come when Jesus returns. But we still live in this kingdom. And so we struggle with, if Jesus is Lord, then why do we still have to experience this broken world? And if His kingdom has come, then how do we find it? How do we see it? How do we live in the reality of that new kingdom? Well, that's where the parable of the sower comes in that we're studying today in Matthew chapter 13. You see, in this parable, Jesus reveals to us the mystery, the reality of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven and how its presence is here, how it comes to us here on earth. And understanding this, understanding the kingdom, understanding how it comes will help us know how to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, even as we continue to live in the reality of this world. So let's pray and then we'll look at this parable together. Lord, thank you for your word that is true, that reveals reality to us, the real reality of life about ourselves and about this world and about the kingdom where you reign. Use your word today to teach us more how to live as citizens of your kingdom, even as we walk this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let me give a little background just to kind of set the stage for this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Now remember what's going on in Israel at this time. They've been under oppression for hundreds of years, under the Babylonians, under the Persians, under the Greeks. They had a little bit of independence, but not much. And then they were again oppressed by the Romans. And they've been oppressed by the Romans for a number of years. Life was hard in Israel in Jesus' day. They had to pay exorbitant taxes to the Romans, all of which went to support other things other than their own country. It was a difficult place to live. It was a struggle. And they longed for the Messiah to come. There was actually, in, when Jesus walked the earth, a, a real sense of anticipation. Where's Messiah? When is He going to come? But they had a very specific idea of what He would be like when He came. That when He came, He would set up His kingdom. And He would throw out the hated Romans. He would throw out the false king, Herod. He would throw out the false high priest that the Romans had appointed. And he would make everything right. And especially, they longed for a nation of righteousness where finally pain and evil are gone and everything is set right. So they longed for that. So they're looking for Messiah to come, longing for Him to come and set things right. And these things were promised in the Old Testament. So they're watching, they're looking, and then Jesus shows up and does miracles and teaches and does all kinds of things and reveals Himself to be the true Messiah. But they were confused. If you're Messiah, why don't you get rid of the Romans? Why don't you get rid of these false leaders? Why don't you bring in true righteousness? What are you doing if you're Messiah? And they struggled with it. So Jesus told a series of parables to help them understand the true nature of the present kingdom. And it'll help us understand 
the nature of the present kingdom so we can know how to live in it as well. You see, the Jews were confused. The disciples were confused. What they did not understand, as we'll go on to see, is that the coming of the kingdom wasn't in one stage. It was in two stages. First was Jesus rising from the dead, all authority being given to Him, but the kingdom is now expanding all over the world in individuals who are receiving Him as Lord, and He is Lord of their lives, and He reigns over them. That's what the kingdom is, right? It's where He reigns. But it's a kingdom that's not obviously visible. The rest of it will be fulfilled at His second coming. But what we need to understand is the kingdom is already here, it's present, and we have the privilege of being part of it. So Jesus tells this parable so we'll understand all that more fully. And he says this, chapter 13, verse 1, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. If you've been to Israel, you've probably been in Galilee, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, to the Bay of Parables, they call it where this probably occurred. It's, it's a natural amphitheater and someone out in a boat as the crowd gathered on the shore in this natural amphitheater could be heard. The acoustics are amazing there and can be heard. So thousands could have gathered here. So Jesus there gets in a boat and teaches the crowd. And he spoke many things to them in parables, verse 3, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus tells this parable who, that many in his audience could understand because many of them were farmers. So it's a parable dealing with farming. They're going, ah, we get this, we understand. And notice that there are actually six responses to the sowing of the seed. Not four, but there's six. Notice that there's three bad responses that are unfruitful and there are actually three fruitful responses. It says some bore fruit a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. And then he ends with this challenge. Let him who has ears hear. He who has ears, let him hear. We made this banner for our summer series in the parables. Stories of the Master, and notice across the top is the quote from this parable. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, I think that's significant and important as you listen, as you hear, as you think about this parable. Because it suggests that you can have ears, but not hear. You cannot really see. It's possible to not really get the meaning of the truth. And so this statement is meant to cause us to ask, do I really listen? Do I really hear? 
I have ears, but do I really hear? Or am I like the dwarfs who refuse to be taken in? (laughs) No one's going to pull the wool over my eyes. I'm only going to believe in what I already believe in. I'm only going to believe in what I can touch and feel and taste, and I'm not going to believe any of that other stuff. He who has ears, let him hear. So fortunately, we don't have to try to figure out what this parable means because it's one of only three parables that Jesus told where he actually gives us the interpretation. So we get to go on to that, and we'll do that in a moment. But first, he has this section in verses 10 through 17 where the disciples come and ask him a question. They say, the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them, the crowd, the people, in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you, the disciples, true believers, it has been granted, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it hasn't been given. He uses a word here, mysteries. Now what do you think of when you think of mysteries? Kind of like a murder mystery or some kind of thing where, you know, you're trying to figure out how it's all going to work out and and you try to, it's like a riddle and if you just apply your mind and if you work real hard at it, you can figure it out. That's how we use the word mystery. Something hard to figure out, but if I work hard enough, I can get it. That's not how the biblical word is used. A mystery in the biblical sense is something that there is no way we could ever figure out on our own. The only way you can understand a mystery is if you have revelation from God, is if God reveals it to you. God helps you understand it. And what he's saying is that while we can observe certain things about ourselves, about creation, about reality, even certain amount of spiritual things, we can never see, even begin to see the whole picture. We can never really understand it without revelation, without God revealing it, the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That's why he gave us his word, so we would understand reality that we could never, ever figure out on our own. We can observe a lot as human beings apart from God in his creation, but we can never understand at any real depth. I like air conditioning. I'm really glad we have it on a day like today. Aren't you? It's going to be a hot one. I have no idea how it works. I mean, I can look at our air conditioner, and I know there's a fan, and it spins around, you know, and, and I can tell I've heard something about Freon and somehow how that works, but I really don't get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Some of you probably understand it, but I don't. The only way I could understand how that works is if someone who really understands it comes up to me and explains it to me in depth. He said, I'm not going to figure it out just by looking at the outside and and I'm not going to understand it. And that's the way the world is. We can't understand it because we can't see the depth of the reality of it. And unless someone explains it to us, namely Jesus himself, 
the reality of God revealing His truth to us, we can't even understand ourselves and what really makes us tick. We can't understand creation. We can observe processes. We can observe things. We can try to figure out theories. And, but we cannot even understand creation very well without revelation. We can't understand spiritual truth and reality without revelation, without God revealing truth to us. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And when we submit our lives to Him, that's when we begin to understand reality. It's like a friend of mine, his name's Dan. He has driven cars for a long time. He understands absolutely nothing about how a car works. And one day he had no wiper fluid. So he thought, and he's totally non-mechanical, okay? So throw that in the mix. He decides, I'm going to go figure out how to somehow fix this. So he goes to the auto parts store and says, I need, I need the stuff you put in, you know, to, that shoots out. And, and they said, well, there's a huge display right behind you. Oh, okay. So he takes a bottle and he buys it and then he goes out and thinks, I'm supposed to put this somewhere, I suppose. He had no idea where to put it. Finally, he goes in and asks the guy, you know, where you have to help me. Well, you, okay, you just have to pop the hood and then you have to, you know, and you look in there and there's the reservoir and so he explains it. And He goes out and he sits in his car. He can't figure out how to pop the hood. So finally the guy comes out and helps him. And what's the problem? Uh, so how do you pop the hood? Well, there's a lever down by your leg and the guy's obviously thinking, oh man, this guy really knows nothing. And finally, he sees the guy sort of embarrassed and, you know, can't believe that he doesn't know anything. And he finally, my friend Dan, decides to lie. He says, well, it's not my car. He'd been driving it for four years. It was his car. But he just felt so embarrassed and ashamed. But that's a picture for us of how we think we can understand life. We blunder through life. We try to understand it on our own. But when we come to Jesus, suddenly reality begins to open up. The answers are there. That's what he's trying to tell us through these parables is come to me. You see, the Israelites had avoided depending on God for many, many years. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah wrote in 720 or so B.C. at a point where he quotes this and says, you have shut your ears, you've shut your eyes, you're not turning to me, you're trying to figure out life on your own instead of coming to me for the answers, Isaiah tells the people. You're not coming to God for the answers. And the result is, he goes on to say in Isaiah, you will be judged. And some 40 years later, 586 B.C., the nation of Israel was wiped out by the Babylonians. Now Jesus, many years later, 700 years plus later, 800 years later, quotes the same passage and says, you Israelites, you Jewish people have the same problem today. You're refusing to come to God. You're like the dwarfs. You're trying to say, no, nobody's going to take us in. We've got life figured out. We know what Messiah needs to be like. We've got, we're going to run our own lives. 
And Jesus says, no, you need to come to me for the answers. I've proven myself as Messiah. Come to me and quit trying to control and figure out life on your own or judgment will come. Forty years later, after Jesus made that statement, the Jews rebelled against the Romans because they were tired of waiting for Messiah to come in the way they wanted him to. And the nation was wiped out by the Romans. Again. Again. Jesus is trying to help us to understand that parables are designed to arouse curiosity so that we'll come to him and say, I can't figure this out. I don't know how to put in the washer fluid. I don't know how my air conditioner works. You're going to have to tell me. I don't know why I struggle with anger so. I don't know why I can't make myself better. I don't know why I can't love my, life, my wife better. I don't know why the world's such a mess. You need to tell me. I'm coming to your word to discover reality. That's what parables are for. That's what the word is for to reveal the mysteries that we could never figure out on our own. You see, parables are to expose our blindness so we'll come to Jesus for the answers. So, like, suddenly we realize, I can't see very well, I can't see reality, and you discover you have cataracts. And you may try to somehow see better on your own, but you will never see better if you have cataracts without going to a doctor and submitting to surgery. And like that, we will never understand reality or even ourselves unless we come and submit to the Word and say, Teach me. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, like we just sang. Reveal reality to me because I am blind and I can't see it on, myself, on my own. So now as he explains this parable, in verses 18 through 23, we understand from it how the kingdom comes so we can understand its presence among us right now here on earth. Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed is sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth. Some who are good soils bring forth a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. We understand from this how the kingdom comes. First of all, that the kingdom comes through the sowing of the word, the spreading of the word of God. He says, he calls it the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of the kingdom. What is the word of the kingdom? It's the truth about the kingdom, about Jesus being the king, that he really does reign, that he is Lord, that he is our wisdom, he is our life, he is the source of everything that we need. 
that He is here, present as the King now, and I could submit my life to Him and trust Him as my King and my Lord. He's the one the Father has sent to reveal reality to all of us. And therefore, the kingdom is wherever Jesus reigns. Now, He hasn't chosen to fully establish His reign on earth, but He reigns in every heart that gives itself to Him, that trusts Him as King, as Lord. So this kingdom spreads not through political power. This is where Christians throughout history have kind of gotten confused. We, we think, okay, let's, let's establish the kingdom. So let's establish political power. Let's make sure that we lobby for our own interests, etc. Or we think this kingdom will spread through programs, through organization. Or we think that somehow the kingdom will spread if we just get enough money to do the things and accomplish the things we want to do. Or if we have celebrities who come to Christ and speak for us, you know, and we have that kind of influence, then the kingdom will come and spread. Or big celebrity or big spectacular events or on and on. But what Jesus is saying, and we need to get this, is that the kingdom does not spread through all those things. It spreads through the Word implanted in human hearts. And as people take it in and understand it, the kingdom is expanded. The reign of Jesus expands on earth. That's the method that the kingdom comes. And so that's what we are to focus on. <laughs> that's God's plan in this current age for the kingdom to expand. And therefore, the kingdom is only visible in individual Christians or in gathering of believers who take in the Word and live it out. That's where the kingdom is seen today. As we learn to love God and love others through the application of the world to our lives, so of the Word to our lives. So this Bible is critical. Now this Bible is not any magical book you don't sort of quote a verse and it does magical things, but it's powerful because it reveals the mysteries, the reality of life, spiritual truth, and the reality of this world and our own hearts, who we are, who God is, how to relate to one another, all of that that we would not understand unless He revealed it to us. So the New Testament is simply the testimony about Jesus, the kingdom, and about Him. So what that means is, if that's the way the kingdom comes, then our job as believers is to be in the Word, right? To focus on this first and foremost and live it out. That's why we as a church are so committed to teaching and studying the Word, getting you into the Word. That's why we focus on what we call expository preaching. It's simply beginning in a book of the Bible and teaching through the Scriptures. And we work through an entire book of the Bible. Why? Because we want the whole counsel of God to penetrate. Praise God for many churches do that. But that's what we are called to. That's why in our growth groups, we have you study the same passage ahead of time and then we preach on it. Because we want the Word to go deep into your heart and for you to spend time in it. We encourage you to read the Word to spend time in it. Well, that's why we spend so much time as worship teams 
focusing on the words of songs to make sure they're biblical and solid so that as you have these songs running through your head during the week, they'll be true. It will be biblical truth. You see, the Word is what changes us as we take it in deep. And so all our ministries, we try to emphasize the Word. That's why on our website we have our core ministry principles, seven principles that govern everything we do in our ministries. Number one is teaching. We are convinced that the submissive response to Scripture is the basis of living as a disciple. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word and uses it to transform us. That's the way the kingdom comes, Jesus says. So, the key is letting the Word into our lives, taking it in and really hearing it. He who has ears... Let him hear, Jesus says. So the kingdom comes through the sowing of the Word, being in the Word. Secondly, the kingdom comes by the listener being good soil. The kingdom comes in good soil. He explains what that's all about. I I like this quote from a missionary. He says this, There is a gardening adage that goes like this, Buy a $2 plant and put it in $20 soil. (laughs) Nothing's more important to the success of a garden than rich soil. The condition of the soil is everything. And rarely does excellent soil happen without lots of care and attention. So Jesus now goes on in his explanation of the parable to focus us on our own hearts, right? What's the condition of my soil? the soil of my own heart. Notice he explains these different soils. The first one, verse 19. The soil is, it says, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. I call this soil the hard heart. The hard heart. And notice, let me just say this. All of us, I think, can reflect all of the different soils at different times. And the challenge for us is to learn to be good soil more of the time, right? (laughs) So we really take in the truth. The first one is the hard heart. This is the person who's the skeptic, who kind of hears the word but doesn't let it penetrate because, yeah, you know, uh, that's old history, but, you know, we know a lot more than they did and, you know, we have science, we have all this and, I'm skeptical of that or, you know, I have my own way approaching God and, you know, so they might hear the word but it never penetrates their hearts. Why? Because they're like the dwarfs. We won't be taken in. (laughs) The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. We know better than that old Bible. So Satan takes the truth. I received a while back an email from a man named Ron, he said, I have sat at Cole Community Church for over 30 years. I've heard all kinds of great teaching, but it never meant a thing to me until this week. His life was transformed simply because somehow his heart was softened, he became good soil, and he finally understood the truth. His life was changed. He committed his life to Christ after he'd sat in this church for 30 years became good soil, gave his life to Christ, and not long after that, he passed away. 
He became good soil, but he was, for many years, a hard heart. Soil number two, I call a shallow heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, Jesus says. The man who hears the word immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root. It's temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. A shallow heart. This is the person who gets excited about Jesus. This is great. And they commit themselves. And they join in. And, you know, they're excited. But when things get hard, they fall away. Why? Because their whole view of the Christian life is God's there to make my life better. He's going to make me feel better. He's going to make life easier. He's going to make me feel good. He's going to bring happiness to my life. And when affliction comes, which it always does, and persecution and struggle and difficulty, they think Christianity doesn't really work for me because it didn't give me what I wanted, and they leave. Who came to mind for this? And only God understands hearts. I, only He can see hearts. I, I understand that. But I thought of Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan was a man who... You know, this wonderful singer, and he went through his Christian phase, wrote some incredible songs and albums during that time. A lot of depth to him. But when things kind of got hard, he went on to his next phase, dropped Christianity and went elsewhere. And again, only God knows his heart. But it was a picture for me of this kind of heart, springing up with joy, but then moving on when things get hard. The third kind of soil Jesus mentions here is what I call a distracted heart verse 22 the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and it becomes unfruitful these are the people who like Christianity they get involved they go to church maybe for many years they're involved at a certain level but what Jesus says is the worries of the world are bigger than their faith in Christ. They're larger, more important, and they get caught up in taking care of themselves rather than trusting God. And then it says they get deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth. The lie that the world tells us that security comes through money, through things, financial security. That's where real security comes. And they believe the lie so that as you look at their lives, They're attached to the church. They are part of the church. But over the long haul, there's no real fruitfulness. There's no real loving changing and character development and learning to love other people and give their lives away for the kingdom of God. Instead, their lives are just really consumed by the worries of this world. Now, we all have to deal with the things of this world. I understand that. We all do. But Jesus is saying there's a soil the third soil that bears no fruit because it's caught up in this world. So these first three are all like the dwarfs, right? Essentially, I'm in control of my own life. No one's going to get to me. I won't, they won't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm running my own life. But the three good soils are different. These are those that Jesus says, hear the word, understand it. Understand it is, a, is kind of a key picture here. It's a word that's used in classical Greek of two rivers coming together. You know when you understand something and it's like you get it 
it makes sense and you apply it to your own life and suddenly you put the pieces together. Oh, this is how it applies to me. That's understanding it. And then he says they bear fruit and the way it's translated is who indeed bears fruit and brings forth. But literally it's the word do and they do it. So what does it mean then to be a good soil? It means that as you listen to the word, you, you put the pieces together. This is how it affects me. This is what it says about me. This is what it says about God. This is what it says about reality. And then you look for ways to actually do it, to live it out. And then you commit yourself to do that so that you bear fruit. You see, that's what good soil is. So let me just give you an example. You hear the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's easy for us, oh, yeah, we've heard that a lot of times, and you just kind of dismiss it, or you think, no, it doesn't really apply to me because it says love your neighbors yourself, and I don't really love myself enough, so until I learn to love myself, I can't love anybody else. And, you know, you find ways to just dismiss it. But to be good soil is to say, wow, you know what, that does say something about me. I, I don't love very well, do I? I? I need to love my wife better. I need to love my kids. I need to love my roommate better. I need to love my friends better. And Lord, help me to do that. What do you want me to do differently today? Who do you want me to love? And you look for ways to actually apply the scriptures and live in that in the power of Jesus, asking him to live through you to accomplish that. That's good soil. That's what Jesus is looking for. He says that's what expands the kingdom when we live as good soil. Letting the word penetrate and we seek to live it out. I don't know about you, but I long for Jesus to return. I long for him to come and set this world right. It's a mess. I long for that second stage of the kingdom. But he's left us here in the first stage. And our job then is to take in the word, let it penetrate, be good soil, so that the reign of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, can expand through individual lives as we live it out in our own hearts, and in the world in which we live. So the real question of this parable is, am I good soil? Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Let me pray and then we'll take communion together to celebrate what Jesus has done to bring us into his kingdom by dying on the cross that we might have life. Lord, thank you so much for revealing truth to us. We recognize that we are so limited in ourselves. We cannot see reality. And we need you to reveal reality to us. Help us, Lord, to be good soil that takes in the word, that hears it, understands it, and bears fruit because we do it. Thank you for helping us understand the nature of the kingdom and how it spreads. And now as we turn to communion, we give you praise for the cross. That that dealt with our sins, brought us forgiveness and life so we can be part of your kingdom, be citizens of this new age, even now. So we celebrate you, we give you praise and thanks. Even as we take the elements together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.